Welcome, you're listening to the Build Me A Brewery podcast. My name is Chris Hayton, your host, and our last segment we discussed marketing, design, and beer media. In this week's segment, we discussed the inner workings of beer distribution and how breweries work with distributors and retailers to send their beer far and wide into bottle shops, pubs, and clubs. In part one of the segment, I talk with founder and director Andy Harris from Modus Transport. Being a family-owned and operated transportation and logistics company, Andy and his wife Emily started the business back in 2016 and have grown to become one of the largest cold storage warehouses and distributors of craft beer in New South Wales. Andy, having a background in sales within the beverage industry, he saw a gap in the distribution market and began to concentrate on building a solid network of customers within the craft beer space. Having over 100 breweries within their portfolio they work with, Andy is very well placed to share his insights on what breweries need to be considering when dipping their toes into the wholesale distribution space. So I'll leave you to it then. I hope you enjoy my sit-down chat with Andy Harris from Modus Transport. Well, welcome Andy to the Build Me Brewery podcast. Thanks for coming on, mate. And this is going to feature part of our beer distribution segment. And uh, uh, you were recommended by Mitch from Brewers Unearthed. He was really keen to uh, hear about your thoughts on beer distribution and sort of gave me a bit of a heads up that you'd be a good guest to come on and talk about the behind the scenes and intricacies on how breweries uh, interact with distributors. Uh, So essentially, Modus is a a 3PL distributor where it predominantly just around Australia. Uh, you mentioned offline there was some international stuff that you do, but yeah, yeah I, I guess I uh, want to share with the audience all what they need to be considering when engaging a distributor or getting their beer out if it's just in their local area or even nationally um, if they're starting to get a bit of growth and momentum behind them. But before we get into all that, mate, like I've done with many other guests, just want to get a bit of a, a feeling of your background how you came to where you are being in, in transport and, and the beverage distribution. Uh, but uh, And, yeah, any craft beer or home brewing routes, uh, yeah, take it away, mate. All right. Um, yeah, so originally I um, – so I've been in this industry for quite a long time, being alcohol industry. I joined beer later on. So I started off in 16. Uh, uncle owned a few pubs in, in Melbourne and I used to work in them but also – my family used to own a transport company, so I kind of fell in love with pubs but also worked in the transport business. Um, I worked in the transport business getting out of uni and then kind of left it quite early on to do my own thing in the corporate world, which was working for beverage businesses, so big corporates like Suntory and Diageo. I was predominantly in sales, then moved into brand team and I've worked on the Bundaberg rum brand team. Um, for Diageo and I was there for six years so I went out and you know worked for a few smaller people and my background being in spirits and I kind of fell into I was doing a wine course and one of the winemakers in the Yarra Valley kind of said I'll come have a beer and we're doing a wine course and I looked at him like oh you're one of the best winemakers in the country I don't I don't drink beer and he goes why I said oh it doesn't really have any flavor he goes, oh, mate, come to the Hillsville Hotel and uh, and have a beer. And uh, from then on, I've pretty much really liked beer. You know, I've sold a bit of it now. And uh, and then, you know, I, I came back to my roots and uh, 
yeah, really kind of never wanted to do transport, but saw a, you know, that the market really didn't have what I felt um, logistically it should have and then started a business with my wife. Um, you know, she let me kind of get a warehouse in Brookvale and, yeah, we started with three customers. So, yeah. Yeah, perfect. So of all people, a winemaker put you on to beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, uh, yeah, it was pretty eye-opening because it was quite funny. Um yeah, I really fell in love with it from the first go. I think it was a it was a Hargraves Hill ASB, and uh, yeah, I've never kind of turned back. Yeah, well, you've talked a bit about your craft beer. It's any home brewing stories? Have you dipped your toes in sort of kit and kilo stuff? Or? Um, no, I haven't done anything at home. Um, I've done a lot of brew days uh, with brewers and uh, and also venues and stuff, and I've had so much fun doing that. I will drink any beer. So um, it, it really depends on, on you know, it's like when you, you know, what's your favourite spirit or what's your favourite cocktail. really depends on the time of day and how I feel, you know. I'll have a an Imperial Stout or I'll have a, you know, triple IPA, probably not too many of them um, <laughs> that I can handle. But, uh, yeah, I you know, and I, I'm loving some of the, the hazies coming out today and, you know, I, I just love all the kind of the new stuff that's um, – you know, especially as you know, the beer that Australia is making uh, now is amazing. So uh, it's good tasting the local stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's like nearly every week there's something new. Like mm. there's a lot of I've heard the story that every beer or every beer style has been created. What we're seeing now is just everyone's little different twist on that style to sort of freshen it up or you know make it sort of new and. But, uh, yeah, really want to, I guess, towards the end of our chat, probably dive into a bit more about the, the beer trends and what you're seeing in, in the market as well. Yeah. And But also uh, any favourite breweries or, or actual beer styles or beers? I mean, you mentioned Hargraves um, there, but any anything that you'd like to mention there about? Um, it's quite funny. Like we have probably over 110 breweries in the warehouse and I'd probably, yeah, if – if I was allowed or if my body allowed me to, I think every brewery has its own style. And mm. as you said, they put their own tweak on things. So, you know, uh, I, I'm really excited for the industry that can allow that and I'll have a beer from pretty much anyone. So mm. there's usually a favourite beer that you have at certain breweries. So, you know, I have to be Switzerland when I talk about that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like, you know, what I'm liking at the moment is seeing, you know, a lot of the – you know, the older breweries and then the guys, the head brewers doing their own thing, like you see with uh, Mountain Culture uh, and White Bay, you know, those boys have come out of a really good brewery being modus operandi and, uh, you know, they're, they're now kind of opening their wings and creating some great beers. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, if we're not naming a brewery and a beer, <laughs> beer style then, what's your favourite beer style? Um. I'd have to go IPA, like it's quite a, you know, and my, well, yeah, one of my favourite beer styles is a rye IPA. So okay, that's, yeah, yeah that's uh, yeah, it's probably, yeah, if I could drink that all day, every day, I'd probably do that. Yeah, nice. All right, well, tell us a bit more about Modus Transport and I guess how you guys got started and I know you, you touched on a little bit, um, you know, getting involved with your wife in the business mm. and, but, uh, yeah, go into, you know, what exactly Modus is, services you offer, locations you distribute to, uh, if you want to take it from there. Yeah, cool. So, 
We started four and a half years ago. We had a deadline. Uh, one of the venues actually had their own beer being made and uh, they said, we want you to transport it. Uh, and then so we needed it done by a certain date. So we got a shed. My brother owns a transport business and there was conversations with him about doing it with him or, you know, using his facility out in Riverston. But we kind of came to the conclusion that I think we've got to do it for ourselves. You know, we wanted technology. We wanted things to be pretty. We wanted to be close to the city. We were in Brookvale, which wasn't too close to the city, but closer than my brother was out in Riverston. Um, and we, we just wanted to do it for ourselves. Um, from day one, we've always had technology. It's been something that we needed and, and wanted. But, yeah, we, we're based there, but we always wanted to be where the market is. And we do 90% of our work is done in the CBD. We did Brookvale for about the first, let's say, nine months, and then we moved to Roselle. Roselle, we built a big fridge and some uh, and elite logistics went under and we pretty much got 10 breweries from there. So we had a fridge, no competitor that we had really had a fridge the size that we had, so cold store. So we pretty much got a lot of people and a great helping hand straight away. Um, I just hired Ben, who's my 2IC, and we pretty much went from, I think at the time we had two drivers to four drivers overnight. And then now we operate in Sydney, uh, we do Canberra, we have a warehouses in Sydney, Newcastle and Coffs Harbour that we've just opened up. Newcastle's booming, It um, does the craft beer market up there is amazing uh, and I think there's a few, you know, really good examples of venues that kind of have driven that. And then Coffs Harbour is for us and pretty much most transport companies a black hole. I went and did a little recce up there when one of our breweries, our bigger breweries, kind of said, you know, it's a it's a place that we really want to get beer to, but it's really we really struggle with the current infrastructure that's up there. Uh, I went up there and spoke to the publicans and bottle shops myself um, and just asked them where they got their uh, craft beer, asked them if they wanted craft beer and it was insane just to see their reaction of actually being able to get beer in the same week that they're doing their ordering or actually getting what they wanted. So um, we've only got four brands up there at the moment, but it's growing. And, yeah, that area I think will flourish for it, especially after COVID with a lot of Sydney people or people that working from home and they want the same experience that they're having at their local pub in the inner west or you know in the cbd and yeah they want craft beer up there so yeah. yeah perfect so is it predominantly craft breweries or craft beer brands that you stock or is there some of the, the macros that you also do as well yeah we we're predominantly craft beer that's where we started mm-hmm. yeah one of the big things is we are predominantly independent but there are some of the 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 bigger breweries that we do little things for they actually, you know, the the bigger guys really helped us through COVID. You know, we wanted to just to, you know, we didn't let anyone go or anything like that. So for us, it's all about, you know, as an industry, the craft industry for us is is massive. It's, yeah, um, it's where we started and independence is, has been, you know, that's 90, 90% of our business, yeah. Perfect. Uh, well, want to dive into i guess all the important considerations on on beer distribution so 
want to, I guess, give the audience uh, an idea around self-distribution. If the, a brewery was to go out and, and, and do their own distribution, as well as doing the traditional distribution model through whether it's a, a small independent distributor or one of the big boys, are you able to tell us, I guess, the key differences between the two? Uh, I guess what type of breweries, probably size and, and, and output, uh, that certain models would best suit? And, yeah, the pros and cons of both. Yeah, so um, I've worked a lot with this. So um, obviously one of the big things that you got to really do first and is do the numbers on everything. So one of the big things is um, making sure your sales team are accountable for their number, making sure that in transport that you're maximising your fleet, which is for us we feel that we do a really good job because now we have scope. So we have over 30 vehicles. Now we can get everywhere every day. So uh, we go to Manly. We have three vehicles in Manly every day. Um, we go out west every day. We go to Canberra three days a week. We're in Newcastle every day um, and we're in Coffs pretty much that area every day. So for me, if I was a brewery, what you have to do is really do your numbers so the reason is we have to be that third arm for them and we have to really have a culture in our business um, that reflects most breweries. So we will hire, when it comes down to it, we hire people, we don't hire drivers. That costs us a bit more on wear and tear, but we feel that we have the right people to deliver beer. The people that we have to please most of the time isn't the brewery. We actually look at the venues. So my customer, when it all comes down to it, are the venues because they kind of dictate what's on tap, they dictate who's on tap, and they kind of work the amount of times that we will, you know, there will be a competitor to deliver stock and they're not allowed to deliver to a certain venue because they've done something not the best at a venue or they'll make the venue lift a keg off the back of the truck or, you know, the driver won't deliver the stock to exactly where they want it. Happens a lot. I know that. I've worked in um, the sales side of business. I've worked for big corporates. I've worked for smaller businesses. So the brewery has to take into account all of that. Now, most of the venues I say, if you're starting out and you just want to kind of cover off your local area to do your distribution. That's awesome. I think that's, but when you get past a certain number of kegs, then it starts costing money. So there's, you know, there's a few breweries that do their own logistics, which is all good and well, but they also have to pay for the driver. They have to pay for the warehouse manager. They have to pay for the cool room. They also have to pay for all the vehicles, the wear and tear, the fuel, everything. My whole thing is the big guys don't do it because they save money not having to pay for all that. And pretty much or well, 90% of the breweries that have been bought out don't do it either. So if you look at the model, when people look to buy a brewery, they look and see how easy it is and how many arms. They usually want to make sure that the brewery is self-sufficient making good beer, but they also want to make sure their sales teams bang on and they want to be able to tack into their business. So yeah, I think starting out, you want to really make sure that you're covering your market 
a lot of the venues say they want to have that personal contact with the venue, but the problem is the person that you're delivering to and the person that you're selling the keg to are usually two different people. That's the major takeout that I say and um, that's what's grown our business. And if we can be an extension of a brewery, because that's how I, I talk to our staff, and our staff members could walk into a brewery tomorrow and be a staff member there. Yeah. But, yeah, also you deliver kegs, they're 62 kilos. Uh, you want to make sure that you're pretty good and you don't put someone's back out. Yeah, and that that is a recurring theme throughout the podcast is a lot of people listening, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be tight for, for money in the beginning, you know what I mean? And right. probably first 12, 24 months, they're, they're probably not even considering wholesale. You know, they're just going to service their local area and there might be some wholesale opportunities if it, you know, if it is received really well, then they start dipping their toes in local distribution. But what you're saying is, you know, the infrastructure that a brewery has to build or implement for just distribution of a few kegs or cartons costs a lot of money up mm. front to do, you know what I mean? So services like yourself, you know, we've just, you took, took me for a tour around the, the warehouse, you've got a good giant cool room storage here and thousands and thousands worth of of, of cartons and kegs in here so and you've got the network and, and distribution network set up it seems like a, yes it is a bit of money outlay and it's and breweries aren't able to bring it in house where they could potentially save money but you guys seem to be saving the money up front because you know they don't have to build the network that you've already got mm. so yeah, so and then that's sort of coming uh, all the different topics we're exploring on this podcast. It seems to be a recurring theme, you know what I mean? Like Nick Becker, who was on from Convoy, talking about you know keg rental. You know, it's quite a lot of money to purchase a whole fleet of kegs and to, to maintain them and make sure they're coming back. You know what I mean? So it's just that theme again. Get someone else to do it for you if you you know have peace of mind. I guess. So. Yeah, and I think one of the themes is. A lot of people have their sales guys delivering stock twice a week. And for me, having been working in sales teams, what you want your sales team to do be doing is selling all the time. As soon as you've got them delivering, they're going to a venue twice and three times in a week. You don't want them doing that. You want them selling beer and selling all the time. And because what that does is then that grows your distribution um so and that's one of the big things that i see and i think that when you got reps doing deliveries they're not selling they're doing deliveries because they've already sold to that venue now they're delivering the kegs or the cases to that venue and they kind of could be out seeing more venues so you're actually not getting the number that that salesperson needs to hit for the month like i i know the number depending on the keg price or the case price of what the, the the sales guys need to do, and I would say a lot of them are, are pretty much under that. So, and that's why the, the brewers are trying to to get them to maybe deliver two days a week to make that money up. But if they're out there every day, all day, then they'll be selling the number that they need to. But yeah, mm, all right. So another question that i've had in my mind is you know because i've got aspirations and I've, I've spoken about it on a few other episodes earlier to this down the track i'd like to see that my beer might end up on taps in local local pubs or bottle shops and all that so i've got wholesale distribution aspirations if the brew pubs receive really well 
So I'm interested to know what sort of signs would you point out or for a brewery when when they're ready to get into bed with a distributor? So like what are the key business infrastructures? We talked about uh, sales and marketing teams, um, probably the, the volume and then production output um, that they're producing. So yeah, able to share some comments around that. Yep. So I, I think the big thing for me when you deal with out-of-state breweries coming into our warehouse, one of my first questions is, is do you have a distributor slash a salesperson? So whether you're with a distributor, I always think it's good to have a salesperson as well once you get up to a volume that needs it because if you're with a distributor, a pure distributor, you need to make sure that they have, you know, that you get a share of voice within that portfolio um, because sometimes you may not have a share of voice. You might not be the flavour of the month or you might not be the, you know, when you're brand new, everyone talks at you, but then when another brand comes in that they need to focus on, they don't. So having both, I think, like, you know, having your ALMs, ILGs and Paramounts, I think is great and you need that but also making sure that they're talking to the venues that you want to be seen in. So if you want to set yourself at premium high-end, you need to be sitting with premium high-end wine, spirits, or mixes. So I think one of the big things is taking a leap and kind of focusing on a on a salesperson or a brand manager that's actually out there in trade banging your drum is, I think, paramount. To it, a lot of the owners do it to start off with. I think, you know, you've got Pat from Willie the Boatman who, you know, you can't get away from that kind of world and, you know, you, you know what he does is very unique and there's other owners that do that as well. Like they, they probably are pseudo salespeople and they'll always sell more than anyone else but they kind of try to scope themselves and, you know, a lot of owners do do that. But then you've got amazing sales reps and personalities in the industry that's doing really well. And I think when, you, when you've you got that person, you've just got to turn them over, just making sure that they're growing the way you want them and helping you sell more beer um, and getting more distribution points. But, yeah. Well, you've seen a lot – well, you've interacted with a lot of brewery owners and, you know, you've seen it from both sides, the supplier and the customer What's, what are some of the common mistakes that you tend to find with breweries starting to dip their toes into wholesale distribution? Is there, is there any sort of common mistakes or big no-nos that you've come across? I, I think one, one of the big things I see is making sure the distributor is aligned to your business. So sometimes I see breweries going into a distributor that pretty much won't see their target market making sure that they see your target market is huge. So, you know, making sure you pick an on-premise partner, an off-premise partner, um, you know, if you're premium, you don't want to be and you want to grow in all the high-end venues, you want to make sure that distributor is with all the high-end venues. So, you know, you want to be next to all those high-end wines and spirits. Um, Whereas I think sometimes people go into a big distributor not knowing that they're only going to see bottle shops um, and they're on-premise. They want to grow on-premise. So that's where I really think that they should consider kind of maybe holding out a little bit and really mapping out their target market. And uh, you, you mentioned there a bit about identifying the right distributor for 
you know, I guess what you're trying to achieve with your beer or your products. Because uh, I did have down here as a question as well about what are some due diligence, I guess, tick boxes or um, boxes that need to be ticked for a brewery when considering engaging a, a distributor. So, you know, I guess probably diving into storage and handling and how they're going to ma- handle your beer, you know, especially if it's going in a state. Uh, are you able to, yeah, talk a bit about that? Yeah, I think um, so. If your beer is pasteurized, then doesn't, you know, you, you don't really have to matter. But also, yeah, if it's not, you have to make sure it's cold. I think, uh, especially when it comes to logistics, a lot of logistics businesses like to tell you that they've got cold storage, but they'll have a reefer sitting out the back and it'll be managed not the best because they're just hard to manage. You know, we we keep our stuff cold and it's very transparent. You have to, otherwise beer goes off. And, yeah, it's it's been really hard for us making sure that that's the case. Our, our new facility can hold a lot of stock um, at good temperature, which is very fortunate and it's good for our guys. But, yeah, one of the big things is just making sure that, you know, go have a look at the facilities that they're doing. Make sure that the business that you're actually engaging has the right people running it. Make sure that they have good technology and people that, you know, I think a lot of people get a, a price list and then they go to a business that may not have, you know, the best facilities. It'll end up costing you more because on breakages and so on uh, and also make sure that they're going to treat your beer the way you would treat it, which is essentially like milk. Yeah, I think that's that's been my one big takeout in this industry is even speaking to competitors within the state and outside the state, they don't kind of understand the product. And we teach our drivers the products. We teach our team a lot about the beer because they're working around it. They have to understand it. You mentioned, uh, I guess, a uh, comment there about pasteurization, and uh, it's been mentioned a couple of times. And uh, so, so just for the listeners who might not be aware of exactly what that is, but that's essentially where the process of um, I think removing enzymes from 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 the beer yep. and basically improving shelf life and stability of the beer so uh so is that why you see some of the bigger breweries like you see these truckies delivering 4x cases and carlton draft and they just seem to sit on the road in hot weather is it can they get away with that is that the reason why yeah i think um was that just is that just poor poor handling (laughs) they should that shouldn't be happening but uh, you see kegs on the side of the road and you know saying hey I, I hate saying this, but that's um, – and I, I don't like – but it's old school. So it's old school thinking about beer. That's the way we've done it always and every time. So that's how we've got to do it. We don't have one – we have express utes, but we, we we make sure that – but the problem is is we don't have one open bed for big trailers. We always have, you know, sandwich panels, vehicles. Because of that fact is we don't want them sitting out in the heat and getting really cooked, you know, even if it is pasteurised, even if it is pasteurised, you want to make sure that the beer is fresh. Uh, I think that's the kind of mentality, like all the the problem is with the bigger breweries, they actually go through their stock pretty quick. So the Fosters and the Lions, they actually, their beer is pretty fresh. So they're pumping it out pretty fast. They only have, I think they have on stock four weeks nationally, which is... um. It's pretty huge, yeah. um, and so 
historically the deliveries have been in open beck trucks and weather that can cook the beer because it's fresh and pasteurized so yeah they feel that it lasts yeah yeah and listen i i feel like you know especially when the rise of craft and it's easy to to bash the big breweries i mean i grew up with their beer so you know they definitely have a a part to play in it all and um, they still have majority of the market and uh but um and, and they make quality beer. I mean, like uh, I think I had Hendo on in our quality management segment. Yeah. He, he bangs on, you know, Forex is one of the most high quality beers you'll come across. Yeah. It's, you know, you have a Forex in Sydney, you have a Forex in Brisbane, or you have a Forex somewhere around the world. It's probably going to taste the same week in, week out. So I guess that is what you're saying. I wasn't aware of that fact there that you've only got four weeks of stock nationally. So that's mm. pretty amazing. Just shows you the network and the amount of beer they're pumping yeah. out. Uh, so tell us, I guess, a bit about what a healthy relationship is between a, a brewery and a, a distributor. I think one that obviously aligns to your your values also helps you get helps you grow. Like you have to actually, you know, you need to grow together. You know, when we take on say a brewery and you can grow together, it's really exciting when you can help each other out and like it's it's awesome. And the fact is, you know, you want them to be getting you tap points. I think that's a big thing. You make like getting tap points in this industry uh, should have a bit more emphasis, and I think there should be a lot more kind of help on the independent guys working together to get more tap points. But I think that's where you want your distribution. That's a good relationship. You want them to be growing your business. But then for either you to work in conjunction and put a sales rep on at the same time, but, yeah, you want them to align to you and your ethos and, and kind of make sure that they understand you as a business. So the big thing is people just go, oh, I'll just send you beer. You can sell it and do whatever. Um, the big thing is making sure that you indoctrinate them into your business, show them what you can do, uh, and then they're happy with you handling their product and selling it and or delivering it. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's a marriage made in heaven. Yeah, and I guess it comes down to any sort of successful relationship. You don't want to appear too desperate either mm. because I feel like it will be too much of a one-way street with the distributor sort of calling the shots. And like you said, it needs to be a, a business arrangement, a business mm. partnership. So if, if you know, don't be scared to sort of say no to a distributor if they don't align themselves with your overall strategy. So mm. there's there's no... Because otherwise, like you said, you'll be um, creating a brand or portraying your beer to people in a light that you didn't want it to be. Correct. Yeah. Like anything, you have to really make sure that you've got your own backyard done and dusted. Um, So you want to then go, what market do you want to grow in? Um, And then you look at the markets around the country and you kind of pick one or the other. So is my market more you know, uh, cool climate. So I'll take it down to Melbourne and see it go nuts down there. Um, but also making sure that can you, do you have enough stock that you can send down there? Because, you know, if they do grow and they do like your product and, and brand, then you, you got to make sure you can really keep up. Mm. So, yeah. In an earlier episode, uh, I think it was our quality management segment, had Dan McCulloch on with Richard Chamberlain from Lullamon Brewing. He made a, an interesting comment about 
every brewery needs to be budgeting for a recall in their beer. So what I'd like to know in regards to that, what happens in the event of, you know, a brewery's beer needs to be recalled and expected costs, the process, repercussions, are able to, I guess, talk a bit about that? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, yeah, you have to. Like um, one of the things is um, you have to understand that things, you know, might not have gone too well or, you know, there might be, you know, a ferment issue or something and it might not, you know, it might have been a new, you know, stream of yeast that you're kind of working with. So you actually don't know and you haven't dealt with it before, but also breakages as well. Like not that we probably do um, – we do break some stuff, but the great thing about craft beer is most of the bottle shops and venues are selling them as singles. So unless they're they're kind of being sold as a case price, our drivers, um, we maximally put their hand in their pocket and pay for the stock because I don't want to come back and, and bring broken stock in. But, you know, if they, we get delivered broken stock and it comes on pallets, which happens sometimes with some transport companies because, again, they're doing lounges and chairs and everything else they're not doing just beer you know some cases do get broken or they're coming from wa for instance um they you know it's in transit for a long time so um the big thing for us is making sure that yeah we encapsulate that so the market doesn't get it but yeah the breweries we still have to pick up those kegs again we still have to re-deliver the cases and bring them back in the warehouse and we have to destroy it um most of the time on behalf of the brewery uh, sometimes if it's an issue with, and it might not be, it might not be a quality issue. It just might not be as consistent as it was and the brewer needs to get rid of it, you know, and sometimes most of the time it's it's okay to drink or it might not look, might be a bit more hazy than they want it to look out in market and you have to have those qualities and checks in place and be happy to go, oh, there's 50 cases that I don't want to go out in the market because, it's not as consistent as the batches before it and we get them destroyed on behalf of the breweries and it does cost money. It costs us money. But, yeah, uh, one of the things is, uh, yeah, just making sure that you, you, you do have to budget for that. It's like anything. Mm. And it does more damage to your brand if you don't recall. Take ownership. And of take ownership it. of it. And I think, yeah, it's, it is a cost and it's something that you don't like it to be a cost. But. Yeah, I think it was uh, Dan again talking about issues with beers re-fermenting. I think it's the technical term diastaticus where, yeah, yeast starts uh, eating up some of the residual sugars and re-fermenting and, and bottles can then start um, exploding or cans exploding and I guess that becomes a, a safety risk to customers and, and every, everyone in the chain. Um, so, yeah, you, you definitely want to be really taking ownership, getting on the front foot. Otherwise, it can hurt your brand a lot more. Yeah, we've had. Yeah, they're, they're pretty scary when they go off. It's pretty funny. Oh yeah, I've heard it. Homebrewers, <laughs> homebrewers in the middle of the night, mate, in the in the shed. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a gunshot. It's yeah, quite funny. Yeah. In the in, we've had it happen in the back of a truck, and oh. yeah, it's like you know, it's it's one of those things, and yeah, it's just. I think when everyone kind of puts their hand up and says, like, we're, we're, as a transport business, as soon as something, you know, if there's an issue, we put our hand up straight away and see how we can fix it. So, yeah. Mm. All right. Well, 
wanted to get your industry insights as well. Um, yeah. I've always tried to sort of sit down with a guest and whatever perspective that they have on the industry. Some are obviously working in industry from all different walks of life. You from that distribution angle. Like to hear from you about some trends that you're seeing in regards to beer distribution. Uh, we've had other guests come on and talk about low alcohol or, or non-alcohol beers. Uh, I've noticed that I've seen a couple in in the warehouse here today. Yeah. And but uh, yeah, tell us about you know what are what units are you moving most of? Or uh, you know, I'm sure you've probably got some good data that you capture to see what's coming in and going out. Yeah, I think. Uh yeah, it's it's funny. I think it data it'd be pretty interesting to see all that. But one of the big things that you know we're we're pretty much um, Switzerland when it comes to that. Like you see all the normal stuff come through, like hazies, and you know they're going nuts at the moment. But we we see a lot of the trends. Like in winter, there'll be a lot of you know stouts and stuff like that. But one of the big things that we've noticed, and it has come this year, is the awesome stuff that is people going back to local and i think that's i think that's the major trend that we're seeing is you know people are going back they want to know where it's made if it is an international brand is it made in australia but also people want to support their local brewery one of the big things is people are drinking a lot more and going to their bottle shops and asking about beers so they might still have their staple beer but they're getting a six pack of mixed craft or uh, independent beers. Um, Seltzer's doing big things at the moment. I think it's – I don't know whether it's here to stay. It's something that it's a contentious conversation with a lot of people at the moment. The non-out thing, a few people are doing it. I think there's a few people sitting back ready to do it as well. But, yeah, it's it, it's really exciting. The, the whole local thing for me is, you know, I thought that it would kind of – you know, people would go back to their old faithfuls, but they're not. They're actually people are still out, kind of trying new stuff, getting excited about new breweries, or helping that brewery that was down the road that you know um, kept the staff on in the whole of COVID, and you know really soldiered through. You know, even though some of them lost a lot of keg numbers, but then really kind of amped it up in in pack and stuff, and was yeah, I, I think that's. That's my main thing is what's happening in the industry, the local thing now. Um, I think that if you look at an area like Newcastle where you, you actually see a lot of tap points that have craft, they've still got the, the majors, as Hendo said in one of your last podcasts, is about, you know, they still have making sure that the industry reflects what their customers want. So I think more and more venues are starting to listen to their customers more. So they're wanting to give them, oh, what do you want? You know, well, yeah, I'll have a Reshers every now and then, but I really like a triple IPA from X Brewery or, you know, mm. I really like my Hazies now. So, you know, so I think, and I think that's why, you know, a lot of the majors have maybe purchased a, a brewery and keeping them on because they're seeing that trend as well. And I think those breweries that have been bought are still in our warehouse. They're still working as an independent business they're still keeping their beers fresh as well but yeah i think the big guys are starting to kind of go oh hang on like i think there's a bit of pushback i think we're gone from having 90 percent tap points and having that monopoly to then now they're starting to see a lot of the craft guys coming in and the independent thing but 
making sure that they're listening to their customers. That's also another thing that I see in the industry. Yeah, I went down to my local that I haven't been to in, I think, eight months. And yeah, they had four craft beers on, which I was dumbfounded. It was awesome. Yeah, so, it's, it's it, really it, exciting to see. I've, oh. I've mentioned it a few times about even the bottle shops, like your BWSs and Liquorlands, you know, you're starting to see, you know, because especially out in my area where I live in Penrith, like, We've got to travel all the way out to the inner west to sort of mm. see any breweries. I mean, you've got the Australian out of Rouse Hill, but yeah, it's like you can access craft a lot easier now, which mm. is good. And I mean, I, I, th- I still think the macro breweries, you know, they've still got that every right to be on tap. Mm. But like you said, just the more the, they can't have the monopoly anymore, no. they need to share it. And uh, like I said, people, wa- I walk into a bar now and I think if there's no craft beers on there. I, I just know, fuck, I'm not having a good time here. So, um, you know, and I might have to have it bite the bullet and just have a, have a new, which isn't that bad. But when you get an acquired taste of craft, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a hard adjustment to make, you know. So, Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that's one thing. I think a lot of the craft people, like, as much as you, like, you know, I love drinking independent beer and I'll drink it most of the time. But if a venue doesn't have, you know, that on board, like, you know, it's still out in the country that you'll have venues that, you know, they don't, they'll look at you weird if you're kind of not, you know, twoies or stuff yeah, on tap. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's understanding quality more so than anything is a big game. But also I, I just love that local thing coming back. It's really, yeah. and it's helped us and it's helped us grow our business, you know, but the thing is like, we, you know, we want to keep helping the industry. I think there's a lot more kind of that happening now mm. you, you mentioned an interesting point there earlier uh about how breweries like more of your small independents are starting to listen more to their customers and and you're right in saying that and do you think that maybe the, when the craft beer scene started really making a big push like probably 10 years ago it's sort of been on this sort of momentum journey right now uh where they wanted to differentiate themselves by coming up with these weird and flamboyant type beers you know like these you know chucking any kind of ingredient in it to sort of get a bit of buzz and you know so craft beer became this sort of novelty a little bit you know like oh there's a new seasonal coming out it's got nutella in it this week or whatever and so what you're seeing now is that breweries are actually like you said listening to their customers and they're focusing on drinkability and i think that's the 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 most effective way to convert the 4X into his new drinkers because they're just used to sessionable, drinkable beers, you know what I mean? And that's what the big breweries have sort of tried to cater to, like uh, a wide range of palates. So, but the craft beer industry, I guess, was coming up with triple IPAs and, and trying to convert someone over who's a 4X drinker is, you know, that's a big leap, you know what I mean? So, there's been talk about craft lagers making a big push, you know, and, yeah, any comments that you have around that? So you look at, so there's, the big breweries have, they have done amazing at creating a segment that's got that in between and has helped grow the market, but it has helped grow their portfolio. So Fosters will have Fat Yak, Lion will have Squires, which both of those brands have been amazing to grow the industry and to actually, to for them people. So what I find, they're a gateway 
craft, whereas, you know, it's, you know, Chuck Hahn, one of the best mm. producers of beer, well, in Australia, you know, is an industry legend, you know, created Squires and now Kosciuszko. Um, but the big thing is they've helped the rest of the industry because they're now, you know, they've been on tap for a while now and now people are going, oh, well, I tried that. That's a pale ale. Oh, look at this other pale ale. Let's try that. So I think that's really helped the industry. That and those guys have really helped grow the market. And now the independent guys are then going, oh, this is my little twist on that pale ale or something. So that's where hazies are, are, are going nuts. Where people are going, oh, what is that? Like, you know, whether it's a hazy pale or IPA, or people aren't afraid to try different things. Yeah, it's quite funny. Like, um. Yeah, I think the big guys have actually helped the industry. Mm. Uh, we've banged on a bit about, I guess, uh, beer trends and a little bit about, I guess, the current state of, of craft beer. Uh, any further comments about what you see the future outlook for craft beer or independent craft beer in, in Australia? I think, again, like the, the main people that need to change their mentality and I think the craft industry or the independent industry really has to educate the the pubs and clubs and so on, because they're the guys that dictate. They're essentially the people that are signing the contracts for um, the bigger breweries, uh, for you know, because they're getting rebates and so on. And you know, the big thing that I want to see for the craft beer industry is working really hard um, to really get venues to understand what you know what they're buying their beer at. Um, and how they're buying their beer because, um, and that's that's for me, like, you know, making sure that they're educating their venues on what the market's drinking because the growth of craft is going crazy and you want them to rotate your taps. The fact that people say that 90% of my customers are drinking three beers out of their 10, you want all your taps rotating and this is, the issue with venues, they're saying, well, I have to have X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, but you're not selling three of those brands. Do you reckon if I have three less taps, I'm not selling them, oh, but you're not going to get the rebate, but then you're going to turn over the taps. So it's more so the industry educating the, the venues because they dictate what's happening and the breweries are only doing what the venues want. So, mm, mm. so that's really what, you know, it's, it's all about the education. Um, and I think, you know, you're doing an awesome job is in educating people about the industry. Now the industry has to educate the publicans. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the craft beer punters and just the average beer drinkers are a lot more educated than they were 10 years ago. And mm. now we've had comments on this show already where, you can't get away with some of the beer that you're probably putting out 10 years ago uh, in terms of flaws and off flavors. You know, people know that now. You know, mm. they, they can call you out on it. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And and, and probably just a, a talk a bit about the venues and what they can have on tap and, and all that. We've touched on a little bit on the show about tap contracts and all that. And is that still a, a big, big issue in the industry with, I guess, some of the, not to bash again, but the big yeah. boys? Again, yeah. So I, I think it, it is an issue, but it's, the problem is everyone's fighting everyone. Um, like all the craft breweries, there's over 600 now in the country and they're all fighting for these taps. I think that there, there needs to be a, 
you need to work together and educating venues. Like the big thing is making sure like in a venue, having worked on that side and everything and making sure that you have a list. So venues work really hard to get the best food. So they make sure their quality of food, like that's gone through the roof now. You can no longer go to a pub and have a, just a standard run-of-the-mill meal. You need to have good food. You have to have it restaurant quality. So should your taps. So your taps should reflect you as a venue and not the contract that you signed. So when you walk into some venues and you see it with big, big pub groups, they're starting to move away and kind of go, what's my market want as opposed to what contracts have I signed? And that's, again, comes down to that brewery selling to that venue and the sales team educating the staff to go, not even trying to sell them anything, but trying to actually make sure if the beer goes on tap within that venue that it's going to sell, but it actually works with that venue. Uh, and that's, I think that's um, a lot of the sales guys just go out there and, oh, what beer? Like, you know, and kind of just try and steal from everyone else instead of if you actually educate your venue on saying what's going to sell in your venue and ask them, you know, how many kegs of this do you go through? How many kegs of that? Like most of the time you're not going to knock off, um, you know, new or reshes, which is making a massive resurgence because you, you still want them. You can't bash those brands because you probably don't, you know, you not not make a product that's going to get that customer over line. But then if you ask them, oh, how's all their other tap points going and you actually, if you're helping the venue sell more, they're always going to back you. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, really, really glad I did have you on, mate, because you've got some great insights there, especially on the distribution side. And, I mean, it's it's been talked about a lot on, like, shows like Radio Brews News. I know Matt Kierkegaard and Pete Mitchell talk mm. a lot about the anti-competitive nature of tap contracts in, in, in Australia. So, And, and you, you're dead right. Like, venues are starting to think, well, my priority is my customer base and my customer base is telling me they want this. So maybe those grants I get from them isn't worth it. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, coming towards the end, mate, uh, once again, really glad I had you on and appreciate your, your comments and insights. Uh, any closing thoughts and advice on the beer distribution side or, or just operating a brewery, building a brewery in general? No, I think it's um, – I think as I think these podcasts are doing, I think people should get as much information as they can. So – when they're ready to open a brewery or, or do it, you know, going out there by themselves, that they're, they're ready to go straight away. They want to make sure that they're hitting the ground running and the first time they put beer into keg or put it into can, that they can sell, you know, that first run and then just keep going. Yeah, perfect. All right, uh, anything else you'd like to maybe uh, plug, uh, you know, Got a got an audience around Australia. Got some international <laughs> listeners as well now. Yeah, I'm a very yeah. Didn't realise I'd get people in South Africa listening to this yeah, podcast. Wow, that's so, awesome. Yeah, anything you'd like to uh, mention? No, I just you know, like our, our big thing is making sure we're hundred percent in. We here in New South Wales, it's big for us, and making sure that we grow our market. 90% of our deliveries are done by us, which is great now. And that's where COVID's helped us. You know, we have some great partners in other states that we work really closely with. So a lot of the, you know, there might be some people going, oh, you know, I want a national solution. But if you pick your best 3PLs and distributors in each state, then you'll grow faster because they're liked more. And 
again, the whole speaking to the venue, one of the big things is I'll, I'll always tell you that my business is the best, but ask your, your venues that are currently pouring your beer or, you know, taking your stock and ask them who their best company is to deliver for them because they'll pretty much lead you down the path. Yeah. And if any people that are, I guess, looking at dipping their toes in getting their beers out in the wholesale distribution side of things, do they sort of reach out to your sales team and have a chat? Yeah, we don't have a sales team. I'm I'm the salesperson. Yeah, so we're on the website. We have a website. We've kind of cleaned up the website from what we originally had because we've pretty much got just over 110 breweries pretty much from word of mouth and thanks to our amazing team, they, they're awesome and we actually care about your beer. So I think that's the one thing that, that is different from other 3PLs. We actually, we actually care. Um, you know, we want your kegs to be delivered into the cool room. Our staff will deliver their cases into the storeroom. So creating that kind of personal feel, yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Andy, for coming on the Build Me Brew podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Build Me A Brewery podcast. That was part one of the beer distribution segment. Part two of the segment, I meet with Group Quality and Sustainability Manager of the Endeavour Drinks Group, Diamond O'Morda, to discuss how breweries can feature within their massive network of bottle shops and pubs around Australia as well as the importance of quality processes to adhere to when getting into the wholesale distribution space. As always, if you are liking the podcast so far and find the content useful, please give us a follow and rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow us on all our social media handles as well as visiting our website, www.buildmeabrewery.com.au. I'll also mention to listeners that we now have a new Build Me A Brewery discussion group linked to our Facebook page. Now, this is a group of keen listeners and like-minded people discussing their brewery build plans and and providing advice to others on the subject. Link to this group will be in the episode show notes. That's all for now. I'm Chris Hayton, your host, and this is the Build Me A Brewery podcast. Podcast.